from Indianapolis with an eye on every corner of Indiana. This is IBJ Media's Inside Indiana Business with Gary Dick. Presented by Ice Miller and Indiana University. From the sun's rays to the power of the wind to using hydrogen to fuel big rigs, Indiana Governor Eric Holcomb weighs in on the state's strategy to harness all that nature has to offer and the potential economic impact. Plus, how a company with roots in a small Indiana town is playing a big role in pioneering human tissue research in outer space. And what the former center of Indiana's limestone industry is doing to save its once bustling downtown. Hello and welcome to Inside Indiana Business. I'm Gary Dick coming to you this week from the Indiana State House in downtown Indianapolis, where there is growing interest and momentum around making Indiana a hub for clean and renewable energy. And there was a development this week that really underscores that effort. In northwest Indiana, Israel-based Doral Renewables broke ground this week on phase two of the largest solar project under construction in the entire nation. The $1.5 billion Mammoth Solar Farm will ultimately span more than 13,000 acres across Stark and Pulaski counties. Wind farms also continue to populate the Hoosier landscape, Indiana number 12 now in the nation in terms of wind energy. And from solar and wind to the electrification of the auto industry, a joint venture between global auto giant Stellantis and Samsung SDI in South Korea, investing more than $2.5 billion to build an EV battery factory in Kokomo with plans for 1,400 jobs. General Motors investing nearly $500 million to expand and upgrade operations at its Marion Metal Center to support EV production. And we expect to hear news in the coming weeks regarding plans from GM and South Korea's LG Energy Solution for nearly $2.5 billion EV battery plant in New Carlisle near South Bend. That could mean more than 2,000 jobs. Indiana Governor Eric Holcomb believes the state is positioned very well for massive investment in the energy sector. He's leaving this weekend on a trip to Egypt where he will address a global climate summit and it will also focus on energy investment and jobs for the state. Governor, you're going to Egypt. Uh, you will address um, uh, COP27, a major United Nations Global Climate Summit. Why is it important to make that trip and be involved in this, uh, in this summit? Well, I'm, I'm kind of living up to what I say and, and preach, and that is every day I try to take Indiana to the world and bring the world back to Indiana. Little, little did I uh, think about including Egypt in that when I originally said that some years ago, but it led to a discussion um, with Karen Pierce, the ambassador Karen Pierce from the United Kingdom pre-COVID, and I was just bragging about the state of affairs in Indiana and all the practical, pragmatic steps that we were taking, both government, academia, and the private sector that's really responding to the demands and the needs of their customer base. And uh, it's an impressive uh, list of what's been accomplished, and I'll have an opportunity to, because I was invited, to share some of those solutions um, to this issue that we're all grappling with. So BP, G, uh, uh, GM, any number of high-profile companies with a presence here are gonna be there as well. Yeah, there'll be a long list of private sector companies, and obviously for a state like Indiana that's number one, ranked number one in terms of manufacturing, we want to make sure 10 years from now we're still ranked number one in advanced manufacturing. And so when you look at just the auto industry or agriculture, um, for, for two examples, 
Um, we want to make sure that uh, all the innovation that's occurring, that's really driving um, the possibility that we now have more sources, alternatives to choose from, that puts us in a position of strength. I just returned for, from, as, as you'll recall, Germany, and um, they, they were in a position to where they were solely dependent on one source of energy. And because of geopolitical affairs, that became threatened and obviously put them in a, a weaker or vulnerable position. I don't want that to occur here. What's the potential from an economic development standpoint uh, from new energy, renewables, alternative energy for Indiana? The Mammoth Solar Project, yeah. massive project up in Northwest Indiana, phase two kicking off this week. Um, investment in all of those things, yeah. what's the potential? Massive, and the transformation is occurring. Our companies are making these investments uh, to make sure that they're global leaders, again, a decade from now. So when you consider BP, the largest inland oil refinery in America, when you consider Cleveland Cliffs, one of the biggest steel producers that's supplying about half the auto market in America uh, for, for automobile production. These are um, two companies that the, the supply chain is um, dependent upon, you might say, in order to meet their needs and their customer base. And so when you think about the electric vehicles becoming ever more popular and will as the coming years unfold, we got to make sure that we're in a position to continue with the workforce and with the raw materials to, to supply. We're the number one steel producing state in America. About 28% of America's steel is produced here. So we hope to be the same 10 years from now. You mentioned the electrification of the auto industry. Already some big deals announced uh, here. Uh, Stellantis joint venture in Kokomo, uh, potentially a GM joint venture in the South Bend area, New Carlisle, that, that could be happening uh, soon. Billions of dollars of yeah. investment, tens of thousands of, or thousands yeah. of jobs. Yeah. Yeah. What's the potential in that? in that area? Well, it's just more options for our, uh, our workforce to stay close to home and, and not seek opportunity elsewhere when these um, industries and ecosystems transform themselves. And, and we've talked a lot about the private sector. We've got Purdue University, we've got Indiana University, Notre Dame University who are leaning heavily into the, into the future in, in order to make sure that we continue here in the state of Indiana to offer reliability, sustainability, and affordability of our energy sources. And that means citizens, taxpayers, and the business community. And so, um, yeah, for sure, when we're looking at enticing or trying to lure battery manufacturers or electric vehicle production, this is critically important to their business model and to their plan. And so we're, we're happy to be good partners. Yeah, very quickly to those critics of electric vehicles, renewables, is the message this is happening whether we participate or not as a state yeah. and, and we want to participate? Well, you're, you're, I would say, not to be derogatory, but you're kind of living in a fantasy world if you don't think uh, the market is responding to demand. And, um, and so for that reason alone, we want to make sure that we have uh, a canvas of options, different colors, pink, blue, turquoise, green of energy sources, whether it be nuclear, hydro, wind, solar, coal, gas, oil, it's an all of the above approach and having more options alternatives makes you stronger. Much more with Governor Eric Holcomb from the governor's office uh, here at the Indiana State House uh, and the state's drive to cash in on clean energy. How businesses like Cummins are part of a group driving hard to land one of the few hydrogen hubs 
jobs potentially in the country right here in Indiana. Welcome back to the governor's office at the Indiana State House and uh, efforts to drive clean energy investment in Indiana. Could the state of Indiana become a hydrogen hub? Well, there are those who believe it is the next big thing in clean energy. Cummins is a great example of an Indiana company pushing for a portion of the $7 billion the U.S. Department of Energy is making available to create a hydrogen hub potentially in northwest Indiana. Joined again now by Governor uh, Holcomb, hydrogen. People don't talk a lot or you hear a lot about it, but I know a lot of potential there. What's the potential for a hydrogen hub? Because it potentially could be located in the Midwest and there's a real chance Indiana could be the spot. It could be the sweet spot, so to speak, in, in the nation. And uh, we have come together, a, a number of governors have come together in the Midwest and on you know, bipartisan effort. Um, it's Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, Ohio, states that we touch that all have access to Lake Michigan and, and the Great Lakes representing about 22%, 23% of the world's freshwater supply puts us in a really strong position to capitalize off this. It will require governments, local, state, federal government partnership. It will require academia leaning into this, but having a hub uh, located close to uh, BP, mm -hmm. uh, the, the, you know, America's largest inland uh, oil refinery and Cleveland Cliffs, one of the bigger steel producers uh, in our nation, critically important to the auto industry. This is uh, not just important to Cummins, and it is, they've been leading on this front for a long time. So now uh, what they've been preaching, the world is starting to really take note of, not just in terms of the truck fleet, uh, but in terms of a energy source and supply that adds to our portfolio. I think some people look at clean energy and a focus on that as maybe a, maybe a nice thing to do, but it sounds as though there's a real bottom line impact potentially that could be big, a big payoff for the state of India. Yeah, we don't want to be flyover country in any, in any example. And uh, we know that there are companies that are looking for these sources of energy that want to not just contribute to the exploration and the innovation of it, but also to be a customer from it. Mm -hmm. And so we want to be able to, you know, promote and, and, um, and offer uh, whether it's nuclear, solar, wind, coal, oil, gas, and all the above approach. Um, and that's the way we get to uh, high quality of place. Indiana Governor Eric Holcomb, thank you for taking the time to uh, host us here in your office at the State House. And we look forward to following up uh, when you get back from, uh, from Egypt. As do I. All right. Well, the state is answering the bell in other areas of clean energy as well. If you look at the state investing $100 million in federal funding to begin installing more than 100 EV fast charging stations at interstate uh, exits and major highways in Indiana, they'll be able to juice most EV batteries up to 80 percent in less than 20 minutes. Purdue engineers are working to better the 20 minute charging time. They've invented a cable that could fully recharge electric vehicles in just five minutes. And students in six Indiana school districts will soon be riding to and from classes in electric buses, all part of a $1 billion federal project that goes nationwide. 
Well, if you can't beat them, join them. In a sense, that is the new strategy some Indiana cities are adopting to push economic development forward. Cities like Elkhart, South Bend, Mishawaka, Goshen in northern Indiana, instead of competing for business, they are now collaborating to a much greater level as a regional force to attract new companies. Elkhart Mayor Rod Robertson explains why it makes sense. South Bend cannot be like Elkhart, so it has its unique strengths. Elkhart has its unique strengths. Even Mayor Wood, I'd like to put it, he's kind of the squeeze play over at Mishawaka between South Bend and Elkhart, and he has his unique strengths, and so yeah. does Goshen as well. So since we're all unique, uh, we can uh, literally focus ourselves around the quality of place, quality of life equation differently than each other, which is why we don't compete with each other. And you can hear much more from Elkhart Mayor Rod Robertson. He's my guest on the Business and Beyond podcast starting Monday. You can find it at InsideIndianaBusiness.com. Well, up next, the tie between a business that started in tiny Greenville, Indiana, and health research in outer space. The potential impact on human transplants. I'll join Business of Health reporter Kylie Valletta back in studio for that story when we come back. This is Alex Brown. Get caught up on the state's top business news every business day with Inside Indiana Business Radio On Demand. This twice-daily podcast features our statewide Inside Indiana Business radio reports with additional bonus content that you can listen to anytime, anywhere. You can listen now on the podcast page at InsideIndianaBusiness.com or subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Three, two, one. Go for lunch. We are back in studio now with the story of small town Indiana innovation on a journey to outer space. It could revolutionize the human transplant process. A made in Indiana 3D bioprinter now rocketing toward the International Space Station. Business of Health reporter Kylie Valletta here now with more Kylie. That's right, Gary. This is not your average 3D printer. The biofabrication facility, BFF for short, prints human tissue in space for a variety of issues. The bioprinter is an all-Hoosier effort in southern Indiana at Redwire, formerly TechShot. The Florida-based company recently acquired TechShot, which has operated in southern Indiana for nearly 35 years. About the size of a dishwasher, the BFF is the first-ever system able to manufacture human tissue in microgravity. The scientists here on Earth haven't been able to successfully 3D, 3D print hum, human tissue. Much of that is because the soft material collapses under its own weight into a puddle. Well, printing soft tissue in space eliminates the pull of gravity so the structures don't collapse. One space customer is a research center focused on the warfighter. Redwire will bioprint a human knee meniscus in space since the injury is one of the most common in the military. The meniscus will then be sent back to Earth and studied in a lab. Redwire Vice President of Corporate Advancement Rich Bowling says not only did Hoosiers build the bioprinter, they'll also be operating it while it's in space. We have our own mini mission control here in Floyd County, where we talk directly to the astronauts who are our hands, uh, you know, and eyes on board the station. And uh, once they get the, uh, the BFF set up for us, then we actually take over from our little mission control here, controlling the equipment, running the machine, 
Um, and then we do we do have video. We actually have video inside the device we can see uh, while we're operating it. And it's so amazing to us, it never gets old, to see things floating around inside of our equipment. And the fact that the space station is flying over the Earth at 17,500 miles an hour is, is something that's never lost on us, for sure. We are all striving toward the day when we can manufacture a complete organ, a complete piece of tissue for transplantation into someone sick on Earth. We're, we're off the earth for the earth with biofabrication facility. And we're, I wouldn't say that that's going to happen perhaps even by the end of the decade, but that is something we're striving for. Um, there's, there's also the regulatory process that has to come along as well. This is something no one's ever done before. So I think there's going to be some learning on uh, both sides of the, of the process, whether it's the technology side and the regulatory side. But I think together we're going we're gonna to achieve something um, that will change a lot of lives for the better. And Redwire is no stranger to the International Space Station. It has seven devices on board the space station now, and today's launch will bring the total to nine payloads. A new study by a health policy researcher shows the economic burden of untreated mental illness in Indiana is higher than the value of corn produced in the Hoosier State. Indiana University Fairbanks School of Public Health Associate Professor of Health Policy and Management Justin Blackburn says the study puts the economic impact at an estimated $4.2 billion a year. The Indiana State Department of Agriculture puts annual corn sales around $3.2 billion. The team of researchers says one in five people in Indiana experience some sort of mental illness each year, but often do not receive treatment. The report shows the largest cost at more than $1.4 billion per year was premature mortality. Productivity losses were estimated to cost $885 million, and direct health care costs added up to about $708 million each year. Those are some huge numbers, and it really hits home when you compare it to Indiana's corn crop. Right. I think that resonates with Hoosiers. Sometimes these number stories, you get lost in the numbers, so it's good to make a comparison yeah. there. Yeah, let's go back to the bio uh, printer, 3D printer, which is mind-boggling. Um, ultimately, and zero gravity is the right. key, right? And he mentioned, um, you know, the ultimate goal is mm -hmm. to, plant, to print transplant organs. Mm -hmm. And he's actually, you're seeing him There's here. He's the one yeah, kind of scampering <laughs> up the wall. Yeah. Uh, that was on a test flight where he got to experience microgravity. And it, he said it gives you a true appreciation of the phenomenon that yeah. it is and what you can do with it. Um, but the transplant organs, what's fascinating is they can print them better in space because if you think of a heart, it has hollow chambers. Mm -hmm. So in space where there's not gravity, you can better print hollow chambers and mm -hmm. you can better print blood vessels that have to stay open. So not yeah. having gravity helps all of those things. Very quickly. Uh, 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 Redwire, formerly TechShop, right, best right. sales year ever, right? That, for that location in Southern Indiana, yeah. their best sales ever. And he says every payload, or I'm sorry, every um, cargo ship they have going to the International mm -hmm. Space Station in the foreseeable future yeah. has a Redwire payload on it. So oh. things are continuing yeah. to go up. In Indiana <laughs> innovation. Kylie, thanks. Well, think limestone, think Southern Indiana, especially the small town of Steinsville. See why a landmark that was once the center of this limestone boom town is on the brink of extinction. And here's what to expect in this week's IBJ. IU researchers working on a virtual reality treatment to help addicts recover. New ownership means big changes for a Northside Indianapolis senior living community. And what Noblesville is doing to attract companies to Innovation Mile. 
people in today's environment, the economy, top of mind for all Hoosiers. Join us Monday, November 14 for IBJ's 2023 economic forecast. You can register by November 8. And Northeast Indiana, mark your calendars for Engaged Northeast Indiana on Tuesday, November 29. More information at ibj.com events or scan the QR code on your screen. Here's what's making news now around Indiana. Well, most regard Bedford as the limestone capital of the world, but the town where it all started, the focus of this week's Endangered Indiana series, here's Mary Rachel Redmond. Southern Indiana is synonymous with limestone, but what many don't know, this tiny Hoosier town was actually the heart and the start of the state's limestone industry. So Steinsville had one of, if not the first limestone industry in the state and um, started as early as the 18, early 1850s. And so they supplied a lot of the limestone for buildings around the state of Indiana and beyond. It's easy to see the mark of Steinsville's limestone history in the five buildings that line Main Street. Steinsville's uh, downtown, their commercial buildings, there's only uh, five of them in total. One of them is privately owned and not part of our 10 most endangered. Uh, the other four have all been vacant for at least 25 years. The four commercial buildings don't look bad from the front, but you walk around to the back and it's a completely different story. Crumbled brick and pieces of limestone like this show just how serious the deterioration of this once booming piece of Hoosier cityscape really is. Just last year, the city of Steinsville offered $1 for the block of four to anyone who could stabilize or restore them. But unfortunately, they didn't get any interest. But Indiana Landmarks tells me they're optimistic that they'll drum up new interest, putting it on their 10 most list for the second time since the early 90s these tangible reminders, right? These buildings that uh, then also had the carve of the stone carvers who created the facades, the, the stone blocks that uh, make up what you see today in Steinsville. I think that's something not only to be remembered, but to be um, sort of continually used as part of our active lives as we try to put an active use to these buildings again, and that they still see uh, active use in Steinsville in, in the 21st century. Mary Rachel Redman, Inside Indiana Business. All right, Mary Rachel, thank you. Well, Thrive West Central Indiana has released an analysis of the housing market in the seven-county region, and it paints a pretty grim picture. The Economic Development Organization says the region has aging homes, a mismatch of supply and demand, and very little new construction. The report analyzed the housing status in Clay, Montgomery, Park, Putnam, Sullivan, Vermilion, and Vigo counties. Thrive says the situation presents a challenge for businesses trying to, to recruit and keep employees. The Marshall County Economic Development Corporation has announced President and CEO Laura Walls is stepping down. She was hired to lead the organization in December of 2020. The organization has appointed project manager Greg Hildebrand as interim executive director. Time now for Ion Education, brought to you by PNC Bank. 
Colorn Academy, a virtual charter school based in Arizona, applied earlier this year to open a school in Indiana, but has now withdrawn that application. As reported by Chalkbeat, the Academy wanted to expand to Indiana using its model of offering parents cash to purchase curricular materials, but that kind of enrollment incentive is illegal in Indiana. The school had sought authorization from Education One, the charter authorizing arm of Trine University in Angola. That's all the time we have for this edition of Inside Indiana Business. Thanks for joining us this week. Go out and make it a successful week. Thank you for listening to the Inside Indiana Business television podcast. Remember, you can get the latest business news from every corner of the state at InsideIndianaBusiness.com. I'm Gary Dick. Go out and make it a successful week.